summer, Braden was one of our uh, interns, ministry interns, and I just absolutely love it uh, when people from our congregation, when we raise people up from our congregation and, and we see the good things that they're doing. Braden is currently a senior at um, Fried Hardeman University, and uh, we asked him uh, several weeks ago to continue working with us this fall. So uh, we're just grateful for the good work he is doing. Thank you, Braden. Uh, for leading uh, worship this, uh, this morning. So a couple of weeks ago, I was out seeing some people, and I went by and saw Sam and Nancy Gamble. And uh, probably a lot of you know Sam and Nancy Gamble. They're longtime members of our congregation, and uh, they used to sit right to my left, just sort of in the, no, I think to my left, there you go, to the left, right sort of in the back. And uh, Sam currently uh, resides at Pavilion, where he's in the memory care unit. Uh, and Nancy goes to see him most days, and so when you go and see Sam, uh, more than likely you'll, you'll find Nancy there. And so a couple of weeks ago, I was out visiting some people, and I decided to go see uh, Sam and Nancy. And I just had a, a marvelous visit with them, great, great uh, conversation. And as I was about ready to leave, I said to Sam, now I've got to understand, uh, Sam, because he's in the memory care unit, he, he doesn't, uh, most days, know who I am and, and so I'll always introduce myself to him and I always say Sam I preach at the College Hills Church even though we've known each other for about 10 years uh, I've served in visitation teams with him today he doesn't he doesn't know who I am so I always tell him who I am but I was getting ready to leave and I said Sam um, would you mind if I I led his, us in a in a prayer can I pray for you and Sam Sam's eyes sparkled and he said yes if you keep it short and I thought to myself, he may have been speaking for more of you than, than we realized. <laughs> he had a moment of clarity at that moment. He knows it's hard for preachers to keep it short. And yet today, uh, with the message that I have, it's going to be hard for me to keep it short. Because what I'm going to talk about coming out of Isaiah chapter 40 is so important and, and so needed. President Lincoln was one of the greatest presidents our country's ever known and the more I read about President Lincoln the more I I study his life the more I I love uh, I grow to appreciate him and and love him in 1863 right in the middle of the Civil War President Lincoln called our nation to prayer he decided we needed as a nation to pray and to fast he perceived our nation needed to repent and so I want to read you just a few of the words from that declaration. Here's what he wrote in 1863. It is the duty of nations as well as of men who owe their dependence upon the overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine re repentance will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by a history that, that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. The awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins. To the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people, intoxicated with unbroken success, we become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. We have grown in numbers, 
wealth, and power as no other nation has grown. But we have forgotten God. Now, think about those last four words for just a moment. Lincoln said, we have forgotten God. Could those words not also be said about us today, largely? In Isaiah chapter 5, as Isaiah was, was reflecting on the nature of Israel at that point in history, in Isaiah 5 verse 20, he describes the nation as this. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. You see, that happens when we forget God. We become wise in our own eyes. And yet as the church, we're people who come together to remember God. We're the people who come together to to worship God. We call on God. We walk not in our own power, in our own wisdom, but we walk in the power and the wisdom of God. And we really have an advantage as God's people. Because when we struggle, we have have certain resources that others might not. When we struggle, we can rely on the awesome power of God. And that's what I want to talk about for just a moment. One of the major themes you find in Isaiah chapter 40 is the theme of the power of God. And Isaiah especially wants us to see this power as it is in creation. And so in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10, he writes, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. And then down in verse 12, he asks a rhetorical question. He asks, Who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Think about how awesome and huge our God is. He says, Who has measured the, who, who puts the waters in the hollow of his hand? Think about that. All the waters, the Nile, all the rivers, the Nile, the Ganges, and the Mississippi, and the Ohio, all the rivers, and all the lakes, the great lakes in his, the hollow of his hand, all the oceans, all the body, bodies of water in the hollow of his hand. Think about how big and powerful and mighty is our God. And then he asks, who can measure off the heavens? I mean, space is vast. And the more we learn about it, the more we understand its vastness. But imagine a God who just takes a ruler and he just marks off the boundaries of heaven. That's a big God. Isaiah says, take a a look at creation, and as we do, we begin to see something of the power and the might of our God. In fact, in Isaiah 40, verse 26, he says, lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. God numbers the stars. He knows each of them by by name and by his sheer power. All of them are in place and functioning as they should. God is mighty. And there are those moments when we get glimpses of the power of God in creation right now Rick Thorne recently experienced the power of God in a really profound and scary way several weeks ago I was in the church office it was in the afternoon the sky grew eerily dark and the winds kicked up and it began to storm it began to rain really hard 
Now, what you should be seeing right now is actual video uh, captured by our, our church security uh, cameras of that event. So I w- walked outside and I looked down the way, and, and for a moment as I l- looked down Leeville Pike toward the airport, I saw this bolt of lightning that you probably just saw a minute ago. I saw this bolt of lightning. It, it looked like it struck the ground. At that exact moment, Rick was driving down Leeville. And all of a sudden, he hears this loud noise. He, he told me that it sounded almost like his car was hit by a tree, yet that couldn't have been it because he was still coming down the road. He wasn't far from the church, so he coasted into the church parking lot. His electrical systems in his car went dead. His ears were ringing. It was then that he realized he had been hit by a bolt of lightning. And quite frankly, was fortunate to be alive. But that's just a small picture of the awesome power of God. Not only do we see the power of God in the Old Testament and in creation, but we also see the power of God in the New Testament, in the life of Jesus. We see it especially as we read a chapter like Mark chapter 5. And in Mark 5, you have several stories from the life of Jesus that all point to the awesome power that's seen in the life of Christ. And so Jesus, he goes with his disciples, they go across the lake, they go into this region, the region of the Gerasenes, and when they, when they arrive there, they're met by this man. He's called Legion. And we know from reading the story that he was... He was filled with with demons. Now, a Roman legion in the ancient world in the first century consisted of 5,000 Roman soldiers. His name is Legion, so this person didn't just have one or two demons. This person had thousands of evil demons. And so when Jesus and the disciples arrive in this area, this man filled with demons sees Jesus from afar. And what does he do? He runs to meet Jesus and he falls at his feet. And he begs Jesus not to, in essence, harm him. This man, I want you to see him. This man cuts himself. He's bleeding. This man is powerful in the sense that he can't be held by the chains. This is a person who lives among the dead. This is the person who runs to meet Jesus and he falls at his feet. We see something immediately of the power of Jesus. Jesus is just standing there. But this man runs and he he falls at his feet. We see the power of Jesus. But then Jesus leaves there, goes back to the other side of the lake with his, his disciples, and he hears about this religious, um, this synagogue ruler by the name of Jairus. Jairus has a daughter who's ill, and so he's going to make his way over to Jairus' house to see the daughter. And as he's traveling along to, to go to this town where Jairus' daughter is and where Jairus is, there are crowds that are following. And there's this woman, she's in the crowd, and she's been bleeding for, for 12 years, a number of years. She's ceremonially unclean. And so she thinks to herself, if I can just get close enough to just, to just touch Jesus, then maybe Jesus' power will go out from Him and heal me. And so she, she goes through the crowd, she weaves her way through the crowd, and finally there's Jesus, he's walking by, and she just reaches over and touches his garment, and as she does, she's immediately healed. Mark puts it like this. Mark chapter 5, verse 30. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? 
This woman came and she fell at Jesus' feet. She knows Jesus is powerful, but, but is he compassionate? She falls at his feet and she's trembling. And she says to Jesus, it's, it's me. And Jesus looks at her and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And from there, Jesus, Jesus heads to Jairus' house. And by the time Jesus gets to this house, he finds out the little girl had already passed away. But Jesus says to the mom and dad, let's, let's go on in. He takes just Peter, James, and John with him, his closest disciples. They go into where this, this girl is lying prone. She's lying down. Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine the hurt and the pain that that, that mom and dad are experiencing? Their 12-year-old daughter is dead. She's lying there. And Jesus goes up to her. It's a tender moment. And he takes her by the hand. I love that little detail in Mark's gospel. He doesn't have to take her by the hand. He, he takes her by the hand, and he says to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And as he said those words, she, she raised up. And she starts walking, it says, the text says, she starts walking around the room. Can you, can you see the power of Jesus? He has power even over death. He has power over that which all of us will one day face. Jesus has this incredible power. But there's another paragraph, just the next chapter, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus goes to his his own area, goes to his own home. He goes there to preach. And strangely, Mark tells us, and this is fascinating to me, Mark tells us Jesus is not able to do many miracles there. Why? Because his own people lacked something that's very significant. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 6, Mark tells us that Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. While God possesses all of this power, Quite honestly, we feel weak, don't we? We grow tired and weary. It's easy for us to be discouraged. Our bodies at times feel strong, and yet we know that our bodies are susceptible to sin and to temptation and and to death ultimately. But in Isaiah chapter 40, our chapter, at the very end of this chapter, there's this beautiful promise that's so important for us to hear today. In verse 28, Isaiah says this, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. Now, if we believe in God, I think we believe what Isaiah just said. That God is everlasting. God is the creator. That God has this wisdom that we really can't even fathom. We know God is powerful. We see His power both in creation and embodied in Christ in the New Testament. But but notice, Isaiah gives us this wonderful promise that I think is important for all of us in this room to hear. Isaiah says, beginning in verse 29, these are familiar verses, he writes, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. 
Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. What a beautiful promise. Isaiah tells us here that though though we're at times weary, God will give us strength. Though we at times feel weak, God will increase our power. But here's the question. I want to know how we access that power. I want to know how we live into that power. Because if I'm I'm a betting person, and since I'm a preacher, I'm not a betting person. But if I were, I would bet that some of you have come into this room feeling a little weak. Some of you have come into this place feeling a little discouraged. Some of you have come into this room feeling a little bit tired. And I want to know how do we access this power of God that we've been singing about and talking about all morning. What is the missing link between God's power and that mighty power working in our life? And I think we saw it hinted at just a moment in the minis- ago in the ministry of Jesus. You see, the missing link is faith. Now, Let me give you a great working definition of faith that I got from Tony Evans. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Faith is not feeling like God's telling the truth. It's not saying that God is telling the truth. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. You see, we're to walk by faith, and yet many of us are much better at talking by faith. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. You see, often in Scripture, a small step of faith is required to unleash the power of God in our lives. So here's Moses. And Moses was told by by God, I want you to lead my people, I want you to lead them out of Egyptian bondage. And Moses hears the call, and Moses does that. And Moses is leading the people. And he leads the people, and in front of them is the Red Sea, and behind them is the Egyptian army. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh, in time, lets them go, but he rethinks all of this, and now he's in hot pursuit of the people of God. Here's Moses with the people of God. In front of them is the Red Sea. Behind them are the armies of the Egyptians. What's Moses going to do? We said faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Understand, Moses doesn't know how all this is going to work out. Moses has never experienced this before. What does he do? Moses takes a step of faith. He acts like God is telling the truth. He did what the Lord told him to do. He must have looked silly. There he is standing in front of this body of water behind the the armies are coming after him. What does Moses do? He lifts up his arms to God. He lifts up his staff to God. And as he does, amazingly, they witness the power of God unleashed before their very eyes. With a mighty roar, the waters begin to part. And what do the people of God do? They walk across onto dry land. Moses took a step of faith. Moses acted like God was telling the truth so here's how it works God says to you and he says to me I want you the one thing I want you to do Matthew 28 18 through 20 I want you to go and make disciples of all nations and then he says and I am with you always to the very end of the age Well, we act like God is telling the truth 
I want you to go and make disciples. Well, you know what? I, that sounds like that's something that elders should do. That, I've done that. It sounds like I think elders should do. Charles, I think elders should do that. That sounds like something the staff should do. That sounds like something the preacher should do. That sounds like something others should do. And yet, the amazing thing is, Mark, he gave that command to us. You go make disciples of all nations. But we say, I don't think I know enough. I don't think my life is not quite together as it should be. I don't know what to say. I feel so alone. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth and God has just told us, lo, I am with you. You're not doing this on your own. I'm with you to the very end of the age. And so what do you do? You take a step of faith. A step of faith. You say a word for Jesus. You begin praying for a neighbor. You look for opportunities to share your faith. You look for someone to pour your life into. And as you do, God unleashes power in your life. And you begin to do things and experience things you never thought you could do or experience. Maybe some of you are thinking to yourself, I can't, I can't forgive. What they did to me was too much. I feel crushed inside. I feel powerless to forgive. You don't know, you don't know what she said to me. You don't know what she did. You don't know what he did. Jesus says, if you forgive others their sins, God will forgive you your sin. And so what do you do? Oh, you feel crushed inside. You take a small step of faith. You begin praying for the one who hurt you. You begin praying for them. And amazingly, as you take that small step of faith, you act like God is telling the truth. You take a small step of faith and God's power is unleashed in your life. Or here's another one, I can't forgive myself. What I did was unforgivable, if, if anyone else knew. But here's what Scripture says in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all, all sin. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Is He telling us the truth here? You mean he'll forgive me of all sin? That's right. And so then perhaps we need to take a step of, just a step of faith. I don't know what this will mean for your life, but take a step of faith and live into that truth. Or maybe you're struggling like I struggle with worry and anxiety and fear. Maybe that's where you live right now. It was, it was Paul who said, and my, my favorite verse, you hear me quote it all the time, Philippians 4 especially down in verse 6 where Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You mean, you mean I, don't have to, I don't have to be fearful? No, I don't. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to. What should I do? I should pray to God. I should give that to Him. Don't be anxious about anything, but He says, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with what? With thanksgiving. How can I pray in thanksgiving if I don't know how things are going to turn out? I can pray in thanksgiving because I know who God is. I can pray in thanksgiving because God is sovereign. God is overall. God is in control. And so when I give that to God, I'm going to trust Him. He's going to work it out. See, faith, it's acting like God is telling the truth. And perhaps this morning you might find yourself far from God. Here's what I know. If you come to him in faith, 
Here's what the word says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. If you'll take a step of faith, I'm going to turn away from my sins. I'm going to turn to God. I'm going to trust him in that moment, in baptism. I'm trusting Jesus. It tells me every sin is washed away, and I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God comes to live in my heart and life, and he'll help me live out the Christian faith. But what does it require before I see the power of God unleashed? It's just a small step of faith. Take that small step of faith, and you'll see the power of God in your own life. And so today, if you have a need we can help you with, we'll have a couple of couples in the very back, and I'll be down front. Today, this, today would you take a small step of faith? Let's... Let's uh, come while we stand and sing. Song.